What is good, guys? Michael Zakond here, your host, excited to be here, and you're listening to Our Future, the business podcast for young people. And I know you're already subscribed to the most entertaining business pod of all time. And if not, put the Tesla in autopilot, pick up your phone, and hit that subscribe or follow button. I am super excited to share this interview with Scott Gravel, founder, CEO, and CTO of Adabotics a Calgary-based robotic startup that is reinventing supply chain as we know it with a storage structure inspired by ant colonies through vertical and horizontal storage. Adabotics can shrink the size of a fulfillment center by up to 85%. And they're already being used by Nordstrom's And since COVID hit, they got a whole lot of clients knocking on their door. Scott has an incredible story, and this was one of my favorite interviews yet. Hope you guys enjoy. Scott, when you were my age, 20 years old, did you envision yourself being an entrepreneur? Was that in your mind? Not at all. Not at all. Um, I grew up blue collar. When I was 20 years old, I was working as an orderly in a hospital, trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. 21, I joined the Canadian military because I, in the OR, I worked with um, some surgeons that weren't doctors, uh, physician's assistants that worked in um, thoracic surgery. You need three, three surgeons back in those days to do a bypass surgery. And I decided I wanted to be one of them because as an uneducated person in the healthcare system, I'd already climbed to the top of the pay scale and it wasn't going to get any better for me. So I went to the army to become a medic, thinking I'd go do that and then go do two years of uh, college afterwards and become a physician's assistant and get back into the OR. But now, you know, tools in my hands instead of a mop. And did you always like to build stuff as a kid? Like, you did you study oh. engineering at all? No, 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 no. I, I am entirely self-taught. My education, actually, after the military, I came out and I went to university and studied nursing. I am the least qualified person on paper to be having my job. But um, from nursing, I graduated when they were closing down all of the hospitals in the province of Alberta where I grew up because of budget cuts. So I went back to what I knew, which was you know cabinet making and construction. I've always kind of worked with my head and my hands. I got into, I guess you could say robotics because I saw that computer controlled manufacturing equipment were taking over from craftsmanship in the manufacturing sector. So rather than be displaced by CNC equipment, I decided that I would just become really good at dealing with CNC equipment. So through manufacturing, I I became like a Dr. Doolittle of CNC machines. That's the kind of work I was doing when uh, I got this crazy idea. And were you always pining for like an idea? Were you always like, were you always obsessed with efficiency? You're like, where can I make my mark no. increasing efficiency? No, no. Um, I'll be honest with you. I, I had a skateboard manufacturing company for five years. Once again, skateboard. Using skateboard. We're not long talking board. about like the skateboard system Rivian's using. We're talking about like actual no. skateboards. Uh, long, longboard skateboards for mostly for downhill racing. So we all have fascinations with certain animals. Mm-hmm. In my case, it's the octopus since I was three. In your case, you were watching a nature documentary and you were fascinated by leaf cutter ants. Why are these such incredible species? I was doing a consulting gig for some manufacturing automation and I needed to build a buffer at the end of a manufacturing line, a buffer and sorter. And um, 
I designed something that looked a lot like that tile puzzle game that we had as kids where when there's one missing tile and you have to slide them around to get the picture complete. And uh, in, in designing that, I was doing research and I found a company that already had robots that move shelves around. So I called them. And the receptionist said, thank you, but we're no longer accepting inquiries and hung up on me. So I still owe the receptionist from Kiva Systems a commission check. Because I, then I started looking, because I was never in supply chain, never in robotics. Well, I was with CNC control equipment. They're robots. They're just bolted to the floor. So I looked at the problem of then automated supply chain, because Amazon had just bought Kiva Systems for over three quarters of a billion dollars. And I was like, huh, what's going on with this? And then looking at it, I saw one common thread when I started looking at the industry, and that was that every automated system was a derivative of a human-centric environment. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we are a two-dimensional species. We walk on floors. We drive on roads. We exist just on the surface of the planet. Um, so I saw that the density increase of Kiva was still derived off of a two-dimensional row and aisle Think of the grocery store or the Home Depot. Low slung shelving. Well, not just that. It's still it's still six feet tall, and it's it's still a human centric kind of relationship. So I I said, well, nature's probably got this figured out. So I started looking at um, bees actually, but bees are are two dimensional as well. They're honeycombs. They're just flat planes. And then I was watching a nature documentary where uh, a, a guy by the name of Dr. Walter Chinkle poured molten aluminum down a leaf cutter ant colony in the jungle and excavated it to see what the interior of the colony looked like. And that was the aha moment. I saw the ants, leaf cutter ants specifically, created all these little storage rooms to grow, grow the fungus that they eat, but they accessed them from vertical shafts. Mm -hmm. So in that moment, if we ever get a chance to meet, I'll give you my business card because it's, it's half the size of a normal business card. It's square. Because when I saw that, the first thing I did is took my business cards and I ripped them all in half and started playing with geometry on the table. And the paradigm shift from what does storage look like you want to access it vertically versus horizontally from the floor um, led to a unique storage matrix. And, and our storage matrix is the highest storage density in the industry that still provides direct access to every single storage position. And, you don't have to move something to get to something else. And from that idea, you know, you look to nature, you knew that this high density storage was the future. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you to get a prototype, like some working machinery up? Like how long did that take to actually create this incredible tech? I spent two years looking for reasons not to do it. It scared the crap out of me because I had the skateboard company for five years and it was a grind. And uh, shut it down and started consulting. But now to go back into running your own business again with an idea that is much bigger than skateboards. And now my customers weren't, you know, 16-year-old kids at the local skate shop now. They were Fortune 500 companies. They, I wasn't trying to sell something for 200 bucks. I was trying to sell something for 20 million. You know, it's the paradigm shift was huge. And it, it scared the hell out of me. So I spent two years looking for reasons not to do it. And, but I wouldn't let one of them be that I was afraid. There had to be a real reason, like someone had thought of it before. I couldn't protect the IP. It wouldn't work. Customers wouldn't want it. So I went through this whole diligence phase, trying to find a real reason, but ended up finding validation at every step. So when you talk about, you know, the first, the first bot, 
is I had to prove it would work. So we built a smaller scale mechanical proof of concept in a garage. And uh, we turned it on. And the first time we turned it on, it worked and we filmed it. And we used that to then go make a business and raise some money. And by the way, that robot has never been turned on again. How much money did you raise? Because you probably um, need so much fodder for this. You'd think um, we started with 250,000 bucks. Um, and then we raise money every six months and then every year. This needs to get new thresholds. When you're trying to raise money for a robotics company in Calgary, Alberta, you're not in Boston, you're not in Silicon Valley. The risk profile for investors that typically invest in the energy sector was very, very different. So raising money was a big challenge because no one wanted to invest in something they didn't, they weren't familiar with. And, and, and angel and seed investors from those established markets like Boston and Silicon Valley didn't want to invest in a Canadian company because it was yeah. felt too, too far away. Mm-hmm. So that's why we only raised a little bit of money and raised money about every six months just, uh, just to show some traction and, and, and build it so we didn't have to suffer from so much dilution early, early on. And it worked out okay so far, knock on wood. I mean, as you said, you've solved the problem of boxes with another box. Like it's this huge cube mm-hmm. and it's these, these like robotic ants that go up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you just walk us through how it would work for a single use case for somebody, you know, getting a t-shirt delivered to them? So how, how does all, it work? First of all, they don't get just a t-shirt. They'll get a t-shirt, a spatula, and some skin cream. Um, the biggest challenges with modern commerce is that there's so much selection and every order is unique. So that's the first thing you understand. And it's 2.6, 2.8 items. Let's just call them three for this case example. Um, and it's never the same. So traditional methods uh, and methodologies of optimization don't function anymore. We're now in an each picking world where each order is unique. So we get the order. We send three robots out to go get the three different bins that have the three different things in it that that person's ordered. And then we retrieve those bins and deliver them all to the same place at the same time. So you can pick one, two, three items and put it directly in a box, and then it's ready to go out the door. And, and there's no hand that's grabbing this stuff, right? It just uh, drops there is in. Now, there is now, but we're okay. working with a bunch of different partners for robotic each picking. Wow. Um, to automate that process as well. And that's, that's not our that's core crazy. technology. Yeah. Um, but if you're just picking something out of the top of a bin, it makes it much easier for robotic each picking than like Amazon, for example, where you got to pick it out of a slot from the side behind an elastic net which is a bit more of a robotic picking challenge. Um, but what we've done now is traditionally, those three items would have come from three different places of a warehouse, picked by three different people, either out of an automated system or a manual system. Then it would be put onto some kind of sortation solution, which is usually a conveyor-based sorter. Then it has to go through some kind of collating system to get those three items into a bin, and then it's got to go to packing. So what we've eliminated is all of the conveyors that are typical in a warehouse. And that are violent and that are that shape the product and that require the cardboard. Exactly. That's that's why you need a cardboard box is to survive those parcel post-based sortation solutions. Yeah. So the, the way if you saw my TED talk, which it sounds like you did, the way to eliminate a lot of the cost from modern commerce 
First is to get the goods closer to the consumer, which means you got to store it in a micro fulfillment center. It's either the back room of a store or some kind of shared environment. You've got to stop using traditional parcel post infrastructure, which means it goes to a sortation facility and then comes back out. You got to go direct from the warehouse to the consumer. Um, and, and now because you're not going to go through the parcel post system, whether it be your own parcel post system like Amazon or Walmart has, or, or a FedEx or a UPS, um, you don't need to now put it in protective packaging. Right. And what, and what, what kind of packaging are you looking at? I mean, a bag, just like you get from your, yeah. your store. Now. Um, when you, when you order food online, does it come to you in a box with, with full of peanut, like foam peanuts in it? Or does it come to you in a bag? Cause it gets delivered directly to you. I live a little far out, but yeah, but I mean, I assume it would come in a bag. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it just gets delivered to you in a bag, and that's that's the way that's the way to address all of the costs in modern commerce to actually make modern commerce now economical and feasible, as well as reducing both the carbon footprint um, uh, of the process. And we looked at it holistically, not just as a technology for a warehouse in a corner, but the whole system now. How do you make it work for everyone, the retailers and the consumers and the planet? And does it work for everyone? Can all sorts of kinds of companies all use a antibiotics micro fulfillment center or is it for specific companies per I originally thought, Yeah, I originally thought that we were going to be very, very specific for e-com, but we're in commercial food service, we're in retail, we're in health and beauty, we're in medical supplies, we're in auto parts, all right now. And that's, we're a very young company. And are they sharing the same fulfillment centers? Um, the first shared one is happening right now with auto parts and sporting goods. Um, the, the Early on, my early stage investors said, you know, what's your key market focus? Like, what, what, what are you going to narrow in on? Was it going to be online like athletic footwear? And I said, well, no, anybody that needs to store things in a bin and move them around more efficiently than anybody else. And that kind of annoyed them. Like right now, we're looking at projects in pharmaceutical pack packaging and, of course, um, grocery e-commerce. Right, grocery that's the huge. Company. That's huge during COVID. Blowing up right now. What about that's refrigeration? Important. You guys, are you going to put some refrigeration in these, these micro-fulfillment centers? First, our first pilot system was in a fridge. Huh. So we've got refrigeration and ambient, and we actually got a grant from the Canadian government, a green energy grant from the Canadian government to build a freezer variant. Because if you think about it, if we can reduce the refrigerated volume by 85%, think about the energy savings just on refrigerating it. And that's what our technology does, is it reduces the overall volume um, required um, to about 12 to 15% of what's currently used right now. No. Could DoorDash drivers go to your fulfillment center and get the goods and then drive them to yep. the houses. Is that what's going to be a, yes. a future application? And But the, the, it's only a 15-minute drive. Our system can optimize um, from a large data pool to create efficiencies, but can also interrupt that optimization for rush orders without um, degrading the, the, the system performance. So out of one facility, we can manage both the, the longer lead time, the two-day, three-day kind of lead time orders, as well as the on-demand orders. Um, and, and now that 
DoorDash driver, ideally, when he comes for that one on-demand order, we can give him two or three other orders for, the, uh, for a similar geography that they can go deliver and optimize now the last mile delivery and end up saving everybody saving everybody money and making everyone a little bit more money in doing so. And if you could give a piece of career advice to a student graduating out into the world at this crazy time, like what would it be? You've heard this idea of, of, you know, being a disruptor. And I think a lot of people disrupt for the sake of disrupting and that's just disruptive. It doesn't, it's not helpful. One thing everyone that's graduating right now needs to do is use their fresh set of eyes to look at old problems. And you have a unique, fresh perspective on the world. Use that if trying to find a way to solve problems that the experts who've been looking at the same problem through the same lens from the same perspective for so long haven't been able to solve. And, and use your freshness and, and your lack of experience, your lack of being an expert. Because I was no, I'm no expert in robotics at all. Um, but what I had was a fresh set of eyes from outside of an industry looking at a problem. And because I was not burdened with years and years of experience, I was able to see a solution that no one else was able to see. The industry, the world, regardless of industry, right now is, is, is prime and hungry for new ideas because the world changed on us. Everything's different now. Um, travel's not the same. How we live is not the same. How we buy is not the same. How we work is not the same. How we socialize is not the same. How we relate to the rest of the world is not the same right now which means there is a huge opportunity for unique and new perspectives and unique and new solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Scott Gravel, CEO of Adabotics, by far one of the coolest companies and startup ideas I featured on this podcast. You guys should check that out on YouTube and see how this system really works. Scott also has an insanely good TED talk that talks about his mission and some of the more environmental reasons behind it as well. It's insane how we can look to nature for innovation like Scott did, throw on a David Attenborough doc, get that fresh perspective going and get hyped for Friday's episode. Stay frosty, guys.